going to open up episode 334 of the podcast with the song Oh Gregoria. It's from the album Directo Andalia Records from the band Los Tetonas. They're based out of Madrid, Spain. You can find them at lostetonas.bandcamp.com and check out the entire 16-track album. Let them know that you heard about them here on the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to Monster Kid Radio, and welcome to a theme month here. It's September. It's Sword and Sandals and Monsters. What we're going to be talking about this month on the podcast are Peplum Films, the Sword and Sandal movies that came out of Italy in the 60s that happen to have a monster or monstrous element in them. At first, when I decided to do this themed month, I didn't know if there were going to be enough movies to, I don't know, fill up four weeks. But it turns out there's a lot more than I thought. And we have Chris McMillan here on the show this week to talk about one of them. In fact, the conversation that I had with Chris was a long conversation about two movies. So this is part one, where he and I are going to talk about the 1964 film Hercules Against the Moon Men. Now, during that conversation, we do mention the film that we're going to be talking about next week. So, uh, eagle-eared, eagle-eared listeners, is that a thing? Anyway, if you're listening close, you'll hear what next week's movie is going to be as well. And then, of course, I'll come back at the end of the show to reemphasize that and wrap things up. We're going to get to that conversation with Chris. Get your loincloth ready, because we're going to start swinging those swords right after this. We dare you to see The Monsters Crash the Pajama Party, the first movie ever filmed in horror vision, Hollywood's latest miracle. You'll scream as fiendish movie monsters actually become alive, then crash right out of the screen, go into the audience, and carry screaming girls from their seats right back into the picture to become part of the movie. We warn you, horror vision is not 3D. The movie monsters become real flesh and blood. Be sure to see The Monsters Crash the Pajama Party in horror vision and color. Hey, comic book fans, I'm Joe Stuber, producer and host of Comic Book Central, where each and every week I welcome a legendary talent to the Comic Book Central lair to talk about bringing comic books to life. Greetings, true believers. This is Stan Lee. When do you think the Academy is going to wise up and create a special Oscar category for best cameo? I don't know. They're just asleep on their feet. Maybe your show, maybe this interview will be the turning point. She is Erin Gray. Erin, welcome to the show. I ended up being a contract player making, I think it was $600 a week. Gil was doing great. He was making the big bucks. You got the posters, though. You got <laughs> yes. the posters. Come I on. look better in white spandex. What can I say? Hey, this is Michael Rosenbaum. Lex Luthor from Smallville. Make sure you listen to this guy's show. He sounds like a good guy. People should listen to you, Joe. Catch the very latest episodes at the website, comicbookcentral.net. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, like it on Facebook, follow it on Twitter, and be sure to join me each and every week for Comic Book Central. This is Dean Cain, Superman from Lois and Clark, and you're listening to Comic Book... Comic Book... Comic Book Central. Where comic books come to life. Excelsior.
desert sands into rock, the sun into snowstorms. John Drew Barrymore as the mad master of the black arts, using every evil means in his desire to conquer the world. Tomorrow you will present Lucilius and his generals my vestal virgins. Enslaved women did his bidding. Soldiers were transformed into mindless puppets of the goddess of zombies. The goddess who punishes with fire and mummifies with the power of her evil third eye. Spectacle as big as the eye can perceive. Azir! Azir! The Romans are coming! What? This is Count Dracula. And I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. If you ever run into him at a convention or a film festival, or you see pictures of him online when I post pictures of Monster Kid Radio crashes, Chris McMillan is easy to find in a crowd. The man's always wearing a kilt. Well, this time around, I convinced him to change the kilt for a loincloth. We're talking about <laughs> some sword and sandal films here on Monster Kid Radio, and kind of inspired by Chris. Chris, welcome back to Monster Kid Radio, sir. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me back. It's always great to be here. Yeah, and I'm and I'm wearing my Grecian kilt. I can't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Oh boy. That was good. That was <laughs> Sometimes I'm grateful this is an audio podcast because I don't want listeners seeing what I'm wearing while I record. So let's just leave it at that. Okay. Fair enough. It it is sword and sandal month here on Monster Kid Radio. The month of September, we're going to be talking about some of these Italian fantasy films, peplum films, that have some monstrous components. Not all of them did, but a handful of them did. Enough to, well, devote at least three episodes to the sub-sub-sub-genre. Mm-hmm. And like I said, Chris kind of sort of inspired this. I, I had the idea to do something like this, but it just, <laughs> I just I didn't really know what other movies were out there. I had a couple in mind, but I met with Chris one afternoon. He and I have little writer and producer summit powwows occasionally down near Powell's bookstore. And we were talking, and he mentioned that he just watched a couple of movies put out by Something Weird Video on DVD. And I thought, you know what? That's it. That's it. <laughs> and I got one of my guests right here. We're going to talk about a couple of films. This is actually going to be a longer conversation than normal, and I'm probably going to split it up over two episodes because there's so much to marvel at. <laughs> uh, the Something Weird video release is a double feature. Well, I, I don't know if it's uh, promoted as a double feature. It's promoted as Hercules against the Moon Men, and then The Witch's Curse is included as uh, a bonus or a special feature. It was something weird. is really good about putting a lot of stuff on their DVDs. Oh, yeah, it- the Witch's Curse isn't the only one. There's also a um, 
Hercules and the Mole Men short. No, I did not watch that. Did you? Yeah, I did. It's it's obviously it was a movie feature length that they cut down for TV, and a, from what I hear, they did that. They shipped them out as the Sons of Hercules. Okay, and that's that's pretty common actually with a lot of these titles. Yeah, is that they have some very creative uh, retitlings. <laughs> yeah, and instead of um, you know expanding it to try and make it fit into a TV movie length, they cut it down to like thirty minutes. Oh wow! Yeah, so you know it's like. Okay, that plot point's not going anywhere. <laughs> but from what I was reading about these films, that was kind of the case in some, with some of them. You know, they just recut them down to sell them for Saturday morning showings on TV. You know, these have a very Saturday morning vibe mm-hmm. to them. I know a lot of them are in the public domain, which means if they wanted to, horror hosts could probably cover a lot of these movies. If they haven't, they, they should, because I think there are some interesting elements that they could have fun with. I know they turn up on MSC3K every once in a while, but these do have that kind of sit down with a big bowl of cereal, a big glass of orange juice, and just sit down and watch Hercules or Machiste or Samson or or whoever it is that they happen to be calling their lead actor that week or lead character that week. Well, basically, from when I was reading, a lot of them were Machiste. Right. And might be of interest to start out the conversation here because um, Machiste is considered one of the oldest reoccurring characters in cinema, believe it or not. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, his career's, you know, his fir- the first film... With Machiste started, uh, was in what, 1914? Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, there was like 25 silent Machiste movies made. They kind of follow the same basic thread. You know, he is this super strong person who comes in and writes wrong, usually by a queen or someone in power who's turned evil and have to have their soldiers thrown around a lot. So, you know, they went from like, I think, 1914 to 1923, you know, and then it kind of died off. But then when the um, sword and sandal craze hit after Steve Reeves' Hercules, they started cranking out Machiste movies. Interesting. And a lot of them, when they were bought, they were redubbed over in the States. And it's like, who's this Machiste guy? Uh, We'll just call him Hercules. We'll just call him Samson. The Witch's Curse, you know, the hero is Machiste mm-hmm. because, well, you know, doing a little research and I found this online and we all know everything online is true. The internet never lies. Yes, no. <laughs> but apparently they bought the Italian-English dub version so they didn't have to redub it and they just let it run with Machiste. Because if they had redubbed it themselves, it probably would have been Hercules and the Witch's Curse or something. Yeah, well, they did change the character in uh, the Moon Men movie. I mean, it was a Machiste film. Yeah. American audience, you know, the American distributors, are, who, who's Machiste? We don't know. We know who Hercules is. Let's call him Hercules. Yeah, that's that's just it. But I mean, if you, if, it's really kind of funny because I had no idea this character was so old cinematically. You know, I mean, 1914? And they were making Machiste movies. That's crazy now he wasn't always a sword and sandal guy right oh no 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 i mean i've seen some of the some of the shots from his early films and i mean he's a well-dressed person you know he's not running around in a loincloth or anything but he's still i mean the actor who played him i got the name somewhere here let me see oh gosh glasses i know this is exciting isn't it um (laughs) okay and i am going to apologize in advance because i'm going to mispronounce a whole lot of names (laughs) because they're they're all they're all italian Bartolome Pagano uh, played him in. Oh, that guy! Yeah, yeah, sure. of course. But he's a pretty, you know, he's a pretty physically impressive person as is. Even in, you know, even though he's not wearing a loincloth, he's still pretty big. 
he was the silent one, uh, the silent machiste. Well, he originally was a dock worker before he became an actor, so he had mm. that kind of rough and tumble kind of look, you know. Yeah. So he's a manual laborer who I could see that. Yeah, I can too. Wow. It was really kind of interesting to hear. And and the thing is, machiste still comes up in Italian literature, believe it or not. Um, I just happened to go on Kindle looking for books on Machiste, and there was uh, two two Italian authors, um, Alessandro um, You can look it up, folks. <laughs> I'm sorry. But um, they did a series of four books, which was uh, Machiste versus various characters they have a machiste versus thor oh machiste versus freud that sounds weird <laughs> yeah but here's the best one machiste versus gamera what there is a book out there no machiste versus camera unfortunately it's in italian i went looking i could not find an english translation because that book would be mine. Wow. I, I, I need to get my hands on this. Uh, I, I may ask you to send me a link to this because I'm not finding it on my on my end just yet. Granted, I was spent less than two minutes Googling. But, I, I, wow. Yeah. I want to know more about this. Yeah. No, apparently. They, and there's um, Machiste Contro Illuminato or something like that. I'm not quite sure which one that is. But, yeah. Um, it's a series of four books that were written in like 2012. Huh. And the first one I come across is Machiste versus Camera. And I'm like, oh, I have got to get that. I can't read it, but I just have to own it. <laughs> so the guy who originally played Machiste apparently uh, legally changed his name to Machiste before he died. Uh, oh. he apparently became very attached to the character and, and led to his stardom and his career in cinema. I had no idea Machiste had this legacy. This is, wow. You know, when I think about Italian films and the name thing, I, I go to the Spaghetti Westerns because I, you know, I love my Spaghetti Westerns mm -hmm. and they would be shot under one title in Italy and then changed to who knows what by the time they got to other parts of the world. And once you get to the U.S., Django, Ringo, Sartana, Santana, they all become kind of interchangeable for the most part. Yeah. Uh, a Django in particular, because the first Django film, which is actually a character named Django originally, was so popular, they ended up putting Django in all the titles to help promote and sell the films. I didn't realize that there was kind of a reverse of that happening with the Machiste character, where they would intentionally make Machiste films, but to get them out to the rest of the world, they had to change them to something else. It's kind of, it's kind of sad, but it was the 60s. It's like, we're not trying to educate people. We're trying to put butts in the drive-in. Right. Let's do I mean, Hercules. I get it. Yeah, I yeah. get it. I get it. It's just too bad that, you know, this is a character that until now, I had no idea really that had such a career. Well, you know, I mean, a character career, but, you know, I mean, had such an impact on a part of cinema, you know? Right. And I would have loved to have seen more. I'd love to see some of those silent ones. Those, yeah. those would be kind of cool. Well, there is an ebook out there put out by Indiana University Press about the silent films of Machista. Yes. You might look into that, and we can talk about it down the line at some point. If there's interest in, in learning more about Machiste, I, I, with the audience, I mean, I know I am, and it sounds like you are. Oh, yeah. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. This this is, wow. Yeah. I'm well, So how do we get from gentleman brawler type to sword and sandal? <laughs> I have no idea. Steve Reeves. Steve Reeves. I'm sure. You know, Hercules was a big hit. Italian uh, cinema, you know, kind of likes to follow success. 
Yeah. So I'm sure that's where a lot of it came from, you know, just, and then, I mean, I'm sure there was some film executive somewhere that just was like, I remember these movies when I was a kid. There's your hero. Yeah. That's the only thing I can think of. You know, when I talk to people, and like I said, I don't have a huge background with these films, but when I talk to people who do enjoy these movies or know more about these movies, that's usually the first thing they say. I enjoyed these movies when I was a kid. I remember watching these when I was a kid. When I was doing some work with Dorado, we had a handful of these films in the catalog, in the library. Mm -hmm. And one of the things the guy would say is that I used to watch these as a kid and (laughs) then would talk about them and would show me some of these movies and and really kind of broaden my mind a little bit. and I stumbled across some really, really cool films. Mm-hmm. These two were not Dorado films. So this was a first time viewing for me hearing you talk about them. It's like, I got to get my hands on this something weird DVD. I've got to get my hands on this thing and watch it. I, like I said, I haven't had a chance to explore the other features on it. I just watched the two films. But mm-hmm. now I want to see this other thing, too, this 30-minute thing you were talking about. I want to see that. Yeah, there is a African character that it's kind of cringeworthy at times. Yeah. Yeah, okay. you know, you just just be aware going into that that it's kind of like, uh, uh, I don't like just saying, well, but it was the '60s. That's how it was, but unfortunately, that's kind of true. Yeah, it was the '60s. That's how it was. Yeah, just you know, for better or worse, and it is what it is. Yeah, and and it's not as cringeworthy as you may be thinking. It's there's just one or two scenes where it's kind of like, mm, no. Nah, that just didn't work. Okay. But it's it's not bad. It's it's not bad. And, you know, the character is presented in a heroic light. He's also a bodybuilder, so he does get to do some of the heroic bring down the bad people moments, too. Okay. So, it, yeah. What made you put this in your VCR or DVD player? <laughs> <laughs> well, you remember Videorama. They kind of went out of business a while back. Yeah, it was a video rental store here. Mm-hmm. Um, they were selling all their movies. And it's kind of one of those things where it's like, uh, Hercules versus the Moon Men for a buck. Okay, you know. Someday I may be asked to be on a podcast to talk about this. What's a podcast? It doesn't matter. I may need this <laughs> at some point. Um, and so a couple, of, you know, a couple of months ago, I'm going through my pile of, well, what haven't I seen? Hmm, I haven't seen this one yet. Popped it in and it was like, this is actually kind of fun. <laughs> you know what is? Yeah. It is fun. I, I'm glad you brought it up because, like I said, this isn't a subgenre, sub, sub, subgenre that I know a lot about. <laughs> I, I, I know a bit more about Italian genre cinema than I did, say, like 10 years ago. And mm-hmm. I attribute a lot of that to Dorado. Yeah. You know, they really introduced me to a lot of specifically Euro spy films, spaghetti western films. Mm-hmm. Uh, things along those lines. Uh, some Euro horror. Uh, they introduced me to Island of the Doomed, Man Eater of Hydra. Yeah. That, that film, which I love. I still have to see that. It looks so awesome. Someday that might get a, a proper Blu ray release. You know, And of course, they introduced me to Argo Man, the Fantastic Superman, which is one of my top 10 favorite films of all time. <laughs> they did introduce me, like I said, to a handful of these, these films. It's interesting to look at. Like the history of Italian cinema, sub the subgenres yeah. of Italian cinema, and and see things like this. It, it seems like there was just a, a a factory almost atmosphere of just cranking these out. I I know there were so many of them. 
you know? And when they stopped being popular, they just stopped and moved on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which might have been the Eurospy or might have been the Spaghetti Western. It, it doesn't matter, but whatever it was, they had some sort of infrastructure in place that made it possible for them to just crank these things out. I think part of it had to do with sound mm-hmm. that a lot of times, not with all, but a lot of times they didn't necessarily record live sound while producing the films to a actually creating the films. Oh, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, added is dubbed in later and dubbed for whatever country or whatever release. Yeah, that made it a lot easier because you just you know did a dubbing in one country, did a dubbing in another, and send them out. You know, the Shaw brothers said that over uh, in mm-hmm. you know, when they were doing their films. They would record and, and not worry about the truck outside or you know the plane sound or the helicopter or whatever because they knew they were just adding the audio in later, the, the dialogue in later. So I wonder if some of that allowed for... Uh, a speedier production time? I can imagine it probably did because you didn't have to set up boom mics or, you know, any sound equipment. You just rolled the camera. Now, to be fair, I don't know if that's what, neither one of us, I think, well, know yeah, yeah. if that's what happened with this film or, or with either of these films, really. True. It's, it's hard to find a lot of production details about these movies. That's the downside. I love that there are so many of these movies to explore. Mm-hmm. Because they were in another country, any original production material, obviously, is going to be Italian. Mm-hmm which neither Chris nor I <laughs> can read, speak, or even pronounce. Yes, because if I could, I'd be reading Machiste versus Gamera, you know? <laughs> right, right. So you have that issue. And then to get it over here, yeah, I just feel like it's harder to find more information. I'm working on a commentary track for a Blu-ray release right now and finding a lot of production material for these films can be difficult unless you can go to the source and again you've got the language issue Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i know there is a book out there on um you know sword and sandals uh films that one of these days i'm gonna have to get because i mean i'm just i I really enjoy them i want to know more about them they're an interesting subgenre, you know but uh unfortunately you know that's that's the only source that's out there that i'm aware of I, i did some looking on some of the other books i have you know talking about movies and you know a lot of them are just like yeah oh yeah there was this hercules against the moon men it was okay well, as a monster kid, when you see a title like that, you stop in your tracks and you're like, what? what? I moon don't know what the moon men are. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why it came home with me. There you go. <laughs> well, hey, and there's another movie, The Witch's Curse. All right. Bonus. Yep. But that, but like you said, that is something that's nice about something weird. They really, I mean, there may not be any commentaries or anything like that with the movies, but they do pack them with all sorts of fun stuff. They really do. You could get lost in an evening watching these things and just exploring. One of my absolute favorite, and man, we are a little off track here, but one of my absolute favorite something weird DVDs. Chris, do you have the uh, the Monsters Crash, the Pajama Party? No, I don't have that one. Oh, my friend, this one is going to leave you entertained for hours. Okay. Currently because the DVD menu isn't really labeled, so it's all treated like Easter eggs. <laughs> <I'll> <laughs> Which watch. is fun by itself. I, no, I'm laughing because it's like, oh, God, that sounds interesting. It's got a 3D segment, and the original DVD had 3D glasses with it. I don't know if it's still in print or not, but there's a 3D segment. There's a whole bunch of little shorts here and there, a, a, a little short film, a lot of trailers and promotions for spook shows and things oh, like that. It's God. just a cool DVD. Okay, I'm going to have Well, I'm heading to the website after this, <laughs> obviously, to get that. I've got their uh, Death Curse of Tartu Sting of Death double feature. That's a great disc. Oh, my God. 
that's why I saw this something weird. Okay, yeah, that's another reason because it was like, gosh, there's so much on these to see. There's so much fun. They, they really, and those two movies are amazing. I need to talk about those movies even more on these film on oh, this podcast. Oh do. God, those those two are great. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Anyway, back to sword um, and sandals. Yeah, back to this loincloth <laughs> that's kind of riding up a little bit. So, uh, <laughs> it's the Moon Men. supernatural and the real clash in a world of horror your power will be equal to ours you will possess all the riches of the world but remember that there is still one task you must carry out kill hercules I'm aware of the risk I'm taking. All you'd have to do is reach out a hand and take me by the throat and break my neck the way you'd break the stem of a flower. Why don't you do it? He mustn't get out of the palace alive. Kill him! My queen, the people are marching against the palace. Order all of your archers to man the walls of the palace. Hercules against the Moon Men, obviously not the first Machiste film, obviously not the first Hercules film, probably the first Machiste film that Chris has ever seen that I've seen. Well, actually, I watched Witch's Curse first. I did it the other way around. (laughs) It's about an hour and a half. It is dubbed, at least the version from Something Weird. It's Mm -hmm. in English, and they do make the character Hercules, although originally he was Machiste. Uh, played by Alan Steele. What, what do we know about Alan Steele? He was a stuntman, and he did some work doubling for Steve Reeves. Okay. And that's it. <laughs> because the internet is obviously 100% true. Yeah. I, I went to the great Oracle, that is the Internet Movie Database, yeah. to see if there's any other films that I might have seen that he's been in. And his biography starts with the absolute best combination of words ever. I'm going to read it to you. Okay. So his real name is Sergio Chiani. Mm-hmm. He is one of a load of abnormal muscular men who stood on the Neapolitan pectoral pedestal during the sword and sandal craze of the early 1960s. Oh, my God. And abnormal is spelled A-B as an abdominal muscle dash normal. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I didn't find – I didn't come across that biography, but that's good. Yeah, that's (laughs) – Wow. Yeah. Yeah, no, he, he came on the scene, and once the Sword and Sandals films ended their cycle, it kind of, he kind of just, uh, I think his last movie was in 73, and he was off doing whatever. No one knows. Now, he was one of the only native Italians to actually be a lead in these movies. A lot of these subgenre films that we were talking about, mm-hmm. the spaghetti western, see Euro spies, they would have an American actor. They would bring somebody over from the States and treat them like a star in Italy, mm-hmm. like Roger Brown and Argo Man or Ken Clark in a lot of the Eurospy films. These are American actors that they would bring over. Richard Harrison, you know, is another one. Mm-hmm. This guy, he's an Italian guy. He's a native. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Obviously, he was doing stunt work for some of the Hercules movies, and it was like, sure. well, hey, we got a guy who can do stunt work. 
And he's big enough to play a muscle man in these movies. I don't know. I'll bet you it was like, we can save some money because we don't have to hire a stuntman. <laughs> I wonder, he probably did do his own stunts in this. It looks like it because a lot of the writing sequences that they have in there, they look like him. And, you know, yeah, yeah I think he did. I know that Roger Brown, who did a handful of these movies i've talked to him a couple of times and he said that he did a lot of his own stunts as well because i mean they're young muscular guys Mm -hmm. you know they're not the biggest budget production movies anyway so yeah they do a lot of their own stunts not not all of them all the time but i wouldn't be surprised if alan seal did a lot of his own yeah i mean and and honestly the stunt work in it wasn't really it didn't look overly dangerous no I don't think so either. You know, it, I mean, there was there's lots of fighting, you know, there's lots of throwing stuff, but it wasn't like he was jumping across rooftops or anything. So, yeah, I think most of the most of the most of the stunts were done by him. It certainly looked it. And if you look at his, his filmography, like you said, most of his films seem to be in the peplum subgenre. Yeah, you know, when the sword and sandal films started to go away, mm-hmm. he would do a spaghetti western here, or even did a Robin Hood film. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he did a few things here and there towards the end, but I think he's forever going to be associated with these kinds of films. Which is fine. I mean, I think he cuts a pretty imposing figure. I wouldn't want to go up against him. If he showed up in my house in a loincloth right now, I'd be terrified. <laughs> Not only that, he's pretty charismatic on the screen. He is. More so than the guy in The Witch's Curse, I thought. Definitely. Definitely. I agree with you. I mean, he's much more animated. His personality kind of comes through. There's scenes where he's just kind of smiling, and you're like, that's a genuine smile. He's actually enjoying doing this film. It's interesting you say that because, again, the whole thing's dubbed. So you lose the original actor's intonation yes. and, and the way they speak. So you're relying on somebody else. And a lot of times, you know, that it works really well. Mm-hmm. I keep going back to Roger Brown. He was involved in dubbing a lot of films for American release. And, you know, a lot of times it works. In a film like this, where you are robbed of hearing alan Steele's original voice there's still enough going on on the screen that you feel this warmth this this heroism from him yeah that he's got great hair oh yeah his hair is perfect throughout the entire thing oh my god (laughs) yeah he just he comes across as a very likable hercules well machista but hercules you know and he really comes across as that character you don't really need to hear his voice because he's just like i'm gonna do the right thing and you believe it. Yeah. You know, just by his stance, just by the way he's walking around, you, you know, you believe it. Well, almost to the detriment to the film in some spots, because there is a moment where he's trying to fool the, I guess, evil queen. Yes. That he drank the, the poison, <laughs> or the, the, the drugged wine. <laughs> yeah. We know he's not going to do it. We know he's being sincere. We know he's not traitoring. Being a traitor, traitoring, is that a word? <laughs> Uh, we know he's not going to be a traitor and betray his friends and what's going on in the film. We are drawn to him and view him as the ultimate hero. But the other characters, the villains, the ones who think they're getting one over on him, they don't see that. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if that takes a little bit away, but. And not only that, he kind of betrays it uh, towards the end. And it's like, <laughs> you know, you, you can't tell by how he's talking and, you know, his expression, everything that he's like aghast horrified at what you're doing <laughs> although i do love that he just dumps the wine <laughs> i know i mean he just dumps the goblet on the floor and nobody noticed oh, what's that wet spot at your feet uh nothing it's not like he's being sly and pouring it into a pot <laughs> you know plant, a pot and plant. he's just tossed well no one's gonna <laughs> see that 
Oh boy, that was you know I saw I yeah that was a, that was a laugh out loud moment, um, and, and and I hate doing that to these movies, but it really was it it made me well, laugh. You know, if you laughed, I'm assuming it's because you're enjoying yourself, and if you're enjoying yourself watching a movie, then the movie succeeds. That's true. That's you true. know that that's my takeaway from that because I also laughed. Yeah, because you know lot. I figured he was gonna like pour it under mattress or something like that nope right at the camera yep. Yep. <laughs> and, and even when she turns back around and he's got the empty goblet at his face there's still some dripping off the end can she not see that oh okay good thing our villains are a little stupid yeah anyway. <laughs> well you know considering she was supposed to kill him and true you know instead goes oh no i'm gonna have an evening here uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, okay, this is not going to work out well for you. You do know that queen, you know, no, no, not going to work out well. Was that, that's queen Samara. Samara. Yeah, that's the yes. character. And she's played by an actress by the name of, I believe Janie is how you pronounce it. I think Janie so. Claire. Janie Claire, actually Janie Gill. Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. But she was French. She was not Italian. She was French, and she did a handful of Euro spy films, mm-hmm. which have me very interested in checking these things out because I'm on a big Euro spy kick right now. I'd love to see some of these. But, I mean, she did a handful of these types of movies as well. Uh, she did a sci-fi film yep. called The Planets Around Us, which the poster looks awesome. <laughs> have you seen the poster to this? No, I haven't. Oh man, this poster is cool. It's uh, in the foreground. There's a woman screaming. Okay, okay, whatever. The background is the planet Earth and space, and you know some uh, spaceships on the corners. But in the midground, I'm assuming it's a villain of the piece. There's a man. You see him from the waist up. His face is normal. He's got normal hair, but his body looks like it's transparent, like you're seeing an X-ray vision of him, X-ray view of him. However, instead of bones, it's all metal. And it's Ooh, really cool. That sounds cool. Hmm. I'm going to add this to the try to track down and watch list. Yeah, no kidding. Um, because, you know, I've been running empty on movies lately. Oh, yeah. I, I don't have I don't have like five or six different piles of stuff to go through myself. It's just, you know. Yeah. It's too bad she didn't do too many more films, you know. It's like she did a handful and then vanished and no one knew where. I was on her IMDb page. The only thing that was trivia on the IMDb page was a natural redhead. Well, that's important trivia. I don't know. Uh, that's like, really? That's it? Although I, <laughs> yeah, although I will say this. In the movie, you know, the dress she's wearing and her hair's down and she's watching our hero trying to be crushed between those two spike walls. <laughs> I'm watching her and I'm like, oh my God, she would be perfect in a live movie adaptation of Mad Monster Party. Ooh. Think of her as Francesca. Oh, wow. Yeah. And now that we know she's a natural redhead, uh, just saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? I don't know. Yeah. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> she would be perfect, though. I mean, well, the w- she was French, so. Pardon? <laughs> she was French, so, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I have no idea where we just went on this. Yeah. Yes, Francesca, that'd be great. Obviously, that dress she's wearing, she's sewn into it, and she looks great in it. Um, mm-hmm. And the red hair and everything, it's like, wow, I, I don't know where. That's 
that's being a monster kid. You know, you're watching a movie and just this random thought about a Rankin Bass cartoon comes in your head. I wouldn't have it any other way, my friend. I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. I wouldn't have it any other way. Like, like I said, I mean, it was really hard to try and find anything about these people because there's just not a whole lot out there, and I think that's kind of sad. The director, did you see? You know, he kind of quit right away. Yeah, this is his last film. Yeah, he went off and became a painter. You know. Yeah. Okay. You know, I, I get the impression, and again, I haven't talked to a lot of people that were involved in these movies. I've interviewed you know a couple, and. They were, you know, the actors, so mm-hmm. I, I can't speak for what it was like behind the camera. Right. But a lot of times with these actors, it was just a job, you know, and it, it had some great perks. Yeah. <laughs> it had some excellent perks. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm going to go back to Roger Brown again. He was brought over to Italy, not as an actor. He was a physical therapist for a guy that was going over to Italy. Oh, really? He's like, I'm going over to Italy and I need a physical therapist. You want to come over with me? I'll pay for it. Okay. Yeah. Well, hey, why not? <laughs> And from there, he eventually got into making some of these films. And just this vibe that I get, you know, talking to him or a few others is just, it was just a job and they treated us well because we were the Americans, we were the leads, but it was just a job. And when we were done, we were done. Hmm. And I feel like the Hollywood culture is a little different. Oh, the yeah. American Hollywood culture is, is, is very different mm-hmm. as an outsider. I, I have no idea. Maybe it's not from the inside. But. Well, and not only that, I mean, you know, we are talking movies that are being quickly turned out back then in the 60s when they were quickly turning out low-budget films in America for drive-ins. It probably was the same thing. It's like, okay, we got this job. Let's do it. Out in the theater, let's get to the next one. And then 50 years later, some monster kids. So what was it like working on this? I was like, dude, I worked on it for four days once. I have no (laughs) idea. I don't remember. What did you do at your job 10 years ago over the course of a week? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) You know? Yeah. You know, I'm sure, as is the case with a lot of these movies, you know, sword and sandal movies, some of the low budget drive in movies that circulate around, nobody thought people were going to remember them or watch them. No. No. It was a very different media culture yeah. back then. You know, they, they'd go to the drive in and, oh, TV's a thing now? Well, we have these movies, we'll put them on TV. These days, it's okay, we've got a, a release date for the theaters and this is where we're going to put it on on demand and now we've got a blue, you know, they have this plan, this packaging and repackaging and repackaging, but back then churn them out, throw them out, make as much money as possible the first time around and call it good. Yeah, yeah, and that was it because no one's going to watch it again. It doesn't matter. Until somebody starts a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Quite true. Quite true. <laughs> what did you think of the Moon Men? Okay, so yeah, I was going to say Hercules against the Moon Men. Obviously, there are Moon Men in here. I'm not 100% sure what the Moon Men were supposed to be because there are a couple of different things in here. Mm-hmm. There are these stone rock monsters. There's the guy with the metal headpiece that isn't really solid metal because you can see it kind of move a little bit. Yeah. Um, who were the Moon Men? <laughs> I'm not sure. They came, They apparently came from the moon. Sure. And then after that, it's like, okay, you've got a metal-faced guy. You've got the queen who's in suspended animation. Um, right. And then you've got a bunch of rock people. And then, oh, I'm sorry, I'm pouring water for more coffee. It's very early on Saturday. So if you're a little hey, you know what? Going. These movies have that Saturday morning vibe. Didn't we just say that? Oh. It's all good, man. Okay. If I had my coffee maker next to me, I'd be making one right now. <laughs> Well, you I'll, know, as far as I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I was going to say I'll, I'll have I'll have a sip for you when it's ready. Oh, that'll help. Sure. <laughs> well, it'll help me. 
<laughs> so as far as who the Moon Men were, it's not even wasn't even the original title. No. Hercules versus or Hercules against the Moon Men. That wasn't the original title. The original title, I'm not going to try to pronounce, but when you translate it from the original Italian, it's just Machiste and Queen Samar. Yeah. So, you know, that's really what the movie's about. And that you've got this, I guess, meteorite or piece of the moon or something coming down and crashing at the very, very, very beginning of the movie mm-hmm. and these other monsters turning up. Those are just kind of added things that Queen Samar is trying to use to rule the world. Put herself, yeah, put herself in a position of power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the original um, French title, um, which I'm not going to try to pronounce, it's basically Machiste against the Men of Stone. Okay. Which, I mean, both of those titles actually, I think, work better than The Moon Men. Yeah. The Men of Stone were really cool, actually. Yeah. <laughs> they were awesome. Yeah, they all looked the same. So it was obviously they were pouring into something into a mold, you know, because they were all, you know, there wasn't really any differentiation between one or the other. But still, right. they look pretty impressive. And at least at first they are shown to have quite a bit of power. And I think this was maybe even accidentally because there's the one shot where Machiste just walks in front of him, spins around, sees one, the rock man barely raises his arm and Machiste oversells the heck out of that. I know he looks like he, he flies. That was great. And kind of even in the wrong direction, but still it looked really good. He sold it. Hey, he's a stuntman. Mm-hmm. Well, and what I loved, you know, what I thought was really cool is like, you know, he's got the one and he picks him up and he throws the one and you hear it smash. You know, you don't see it yeah. on camera. And then he yeah. turns around and there's like, what, 10 of them? And yeah. you could just tell. I was impressed. It was like, it's like, I thought this was a low budget movie. No, they put together at least. Yeah. But you can tell by, by um, Hercules, you know, all right, come on. Oh, throwing them's not going to work here. There were a lot of them at that point. So what does he do? Drops the uh, roof of the cave on him. Perfect. You know, I mean, I I did appreciate the fact he's not taking them on one by one because that is not going to work. And I do like the way they kill people. Yeah. That was kind of of surprisingly um, brutal, I guess, would be the word. You know, what caught my attention when I'm watching it, because... Again, I've got this like, okay, I'm a kid in my pajamas, having my cereal, watching this movie. Here's a bird pecking somebody's insides out, and there's blood running down his side. What? That was uh, Witch's Curse. Oh, was that Witch's Curse? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, I'm getting, I'm like, what? Yeah, I know. That was pretty. I didn't expect that at all in any of these movies. And then. Yeah, that was pretty gnarly. I mean, it's obvious they just put a piece of meat next to the actor and let the bird peck at it. But Wow. Yeah, I didn't expect that in this film, in either of these films, really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, when you get to um, uh, Machiste versus the Mole Men or Hercules, uh, the Son of Hercules thing, and I had done enough research, I knew this was probably one of those 30-minute repackaged for television. Mm-hmm. Wow, there's some blood in that one. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. Huh. Um, okay, I'll, I'll keep an eye out for it. Boy, that makes me sound... <laughs> yeah. Ooh, there's blood. I well, can't wait. No, but you're bigger in 1960s <laughs> television. It's like, holy cow! There's wow. He just threw a spear through four people. Really? There, yeah. There's a scene where he does that. Well, yeah. yeah. All right. Old man shish kebab. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll look, I, I guess I'll look forward to. Yeah, that. but um, Queen Samara, Hercules has just totally ruined her plans. Right, And she goes running to the moon man, well, the middle-faced moon man, and the rock men just 
surround her and crush her. Right. And it's like, wow, that would not be a way to go. Right. I, it was just, I mean, they've got to get rid of the bad guy somehow, I suppose. Yeah. But, you know, I, I guess there's a, a level of brutality there, and maybe that speaks to the Italian sensibility versus the American sen- I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, know if there's something to read into that or not, but. But I was just like, wow, that's just, that's just nasty. Yeah. Now, the, the final shot of the, the person kind of aging and decomposing at the end, that was very well done. Yes, the, uh, the Moon Queen, when Hercules disrupted her, their plans, mm-hmm. that was pretty good. I mean, I was that really was impressed. really good. I was very impressed by that, yeah. Especially the first part of the transformation, where she went from normal to really wrinkled. I was like, wow, that's really good makeup. Yeah. And the transition, obviously, it's a lap dissolve of some oh, sort, yeah. but it looks really well staged mm-hmm. and well constructed. Yeah. So kudos to them. And I don't know who did the makeup effects on that. I know a guy by the name of Antonio Marini was the makeup artist on the film. I don't know if he was involved. Well, I guess there's a guy by the name of Ugo Amadoro who yes. did special effects. So I'm not sure what his role was in that, whatever it was, whoever it was. Whoever did it. And Ugo Amadora did like Adam H. Vampire, mm-hmm. uh, Rome Against Rome, which is a movie that may come up this month. Oh. We'll see, because it's, it's got some cool stuff in it. Hmm. Some of the special effects didn't look that special. Some of the shots of the moon coming closer to the earth and all that, and some of the some of the miniature landscapes, yeah. Yeah, they, well. they were okay. But man, when, when they hit it right with the rock men and uh, that aging bit, they really nailed it. That was really solid work. I think I say this a lot on the show over the course of however long we've been doing this now, 2013. Mm. Has it been that long? You, anyway. Well, you're on. <laughs> you're coming up on 350, man. Jeez. Okay, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> so over the course of this show, I've said repeatedly, boy, I'd love to have an action figure of that. Boy, I'd love to have an action figure of that person. I would love to have an army of little stone men action figures. Yeah, wouldn't that be cool? Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can have your Hercules. I don't care. I want the stone men. <laughs> oh, I do too. Because, you know, I'd find another figure that's about appropriate size and just have them surrounding it. <laughs> <laughs> this week, this action figure shall be punished by the stone men. <laughs> exactly. To change it out every week. <laughs> Those were really pretty impressive. They, they really were. Now, when you look at the movie poster, at least one of the movie posters, the one that I'm going to try to turn into a Monster Kid Radio graphic, mm-hmm. you've got Hercules, Machiste, Alan, <laughs> Alan Steele, holding apart this death trap thing. Yes. We, we got to talk about this. Okay. <laughs> All right. So for listeners who have not seen the film, or have not seen the movie poster or not looking at the movie poster, imagine a giant V made out of, I guess, two wooden planks mm-hmm. uh, with a man stuck in the middle of the V. And there are spikes on each board going inward. And there are chains connected to this contraption, somehow connected to these giant, basically wheels of doom kind of thing. Imagine that scene in Conan where he's spinning around, walking around all the time. Mm-hmm. And they've got, I guess, slaves yeah. going around, turning the wheel, which in turn makes the V kind of get tighter and tighter and tighter. And, but she stays in there. Hercules is in there trying to keep them apart from 
penetrating him and crushing him to death. Mm-hmm. It's a cool little death trap. Yes, it is. I think the filmmakers thought it was a little too cool because this sequence goes on and on and on. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I mean, once again, I, I, and we were kind of talking, you know, off mic about it. There's those scenes in all these movies where the hero is flexing and grunting, basically. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there, there's no other way to do it. The, and the camera is zooming in on, you know, the straining muscles and all that. And I have not seen very many of these sword and sandal films. But the ones I've seen, especially the Hercules one, there always seems to be that scene. Yes. Yeah, it's in The Witch's Curse. It's in this. We get lots of close-ups of biceps, uh, shoulder muscles. Triceps. Abs. Triceps. Chests. Uh, You get the ab as the the spike is getting closer Mm -hmm. and closer and closer. And honestly, the way those slaves were turning those wheels... They were spinning or something because it should have closed in by that point. Yeah, I don't know how that pulley system machine lever thing worked, but hey, you know what? It looked good. It it looked good, and it gave Alan Steele, who's, I think I'm going to say his name that way every time now, Alan Steele, gave him a chance to flex, and his hair stayed perfect the entire time. I know, I know. For a man whose body, I'm sure, was oiled up before they said action, they didn't do much to his hair to make it look oily or anything. It was just this perfect, I don't know, thing. Yep. I'm, I'm, I have a crush on the man's hair, I guess, is what I'm saying. I mean, he'd get off his horse, you know, galloping <laughs> across, you know, the, the country. Get off the horse. Perfect. Yep. That was a, no, no. <laughs> Nothing out of place. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously he survives so the, spoiler obviously he survives otherwise we wouldn't have a film yeah and then that's when we get the queen with her little oh potion to make him forget become her slave which honestly seems to be another one of these tropes in these movies yeah you know because it happens in the witch's curse it mm-hmm. happened in this one i mean he didn't drink it but you know there's i there was another hercules movie i saw where it happens to him early on and he spends the rest of the movie trying to regain his memory. And I don't remember oh. the title of it. Okay. Um, but it seems to be a common trope that there's going to be a beautiful woman who's going to try and make him forget whatever quest he is upon to stay with her. Huh. Okay. I don't know how common that trope is, but, you know, out of the four Sword and Sandal movies I've seen, it's happened in three of them. So the official statement then from Monster Kid Radio is that this happens without a, without a doubt, definitively, 75% of the time. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying, it seems to be pretty common. And it's interesting, and I'm not quite sure, you know, maybe it was the an inspiration from, you know, I don't know who knows, Samson and Delilah's story. Or something. I, I, I don't know. But huh. it seems to happen a lot where, you know, the hero's diverted from his quest by a beautiful woman and then has to go out and take care of things after he figures it out. I don't know. Yeah. I wish I had the experience with these films to know. Yeah, so do, yeah, so do I. I mean, like I said, I'm only going on the, you know, four or five that I've seen. Right. But it, oh, four or five now. So so it's not 75%. You blew the Yeah, I know. I'm ratio, sorry. Man. Maybe it was 20%. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, maybe it was 80%. Um, but oh, okay. Yeah. It's, yeah, I don't know. It's just one of those things that's, that always seems to happen. And it's like, huh, here, yeah. huh, here, huh, here. Which is fine, but it's just sometimes a little distracting. It's like, really? We got to go there? <laughs> 
Got to hit all those points. You mm-hmm. know? What did you think of the sandstorm? Because I know that that was the big thing on MST3K. What was it? Uh, Is it the deep hurting sequence? Deep hurting, yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I, I didn't really have a huge impact on me in terms of, I mean, I knew it was a thing. Mm-hmm. I knew that MST3K commented, and I know that's what probably people took away from this film yeah. when they watched MST3K. Um, I don't know. What did you think of it? I was watching it, you know, because I because I I hadn't seen the MST3K, still haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, I I meant to, but life and everything got a little complicated, um, and I didn't have the time. But you know, I'm watching this, and I'm like, huh, okay, yep, it's a padding sequence. I've seen worse. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot in here. It's just like, eh, okay. Yeah, you know, and that I don't know what that says about me, but I'm looking at it going, yeah, I've seen worse. You know, yeah. it's like it's obviously padding, but I've seen padding sequences in some other movies that just are like, oh boy. <laughs> I mean, yeah. at least this had a set, and this had action, and this had sound. <laughs> it's, I don't know. <laughs> and you know, it's not them driving forever. I. <laughs> I just, well, at least this movie had a set. I, mean, <laughs> I know. I mean, that, that just, I, like I said, I don't know what that says about me, but it's like, well, at least, you know, they've got interesting things going on. It's not like, um, what was it? Blood of Dracula's Castle, where the potential Wolfman psycho killer escapes from jail and then spends five minutes running through the woods. That's it. <laughs> okay. It's a sunny you know, and day. Again, we're laughing, <laughs> and and you know we even reference MST3K. It's it's not that we're making fun of or making light of. They are just these em- enjoyable emotional touchstones that generate one heck of an emotional response mm-hmm. in, in people like Chris and I, and and I'm sure a lot of you guys and gals too. So please don't think that we're you know. I mean, it's just part of the deal. I mean, this seems to be a trope in these sub these particularly these subgenres. Mm-hmm. You've got to have these moments to kind of stretch things out. Otherwise, it doesn't fit within the quote unquote rules of the subgenre. You've got to have the padding. You've got to have these moments. You've got to have the guy trying to lift a tree out of the ground for a good. <laughs> <laughs> but felt like forever, 15 minutes, oh, yeah. it didn't go that long. But it goes on for quite some time in The Richest Curse. It's just part of the deal. Yeah, and you know, I mean, sometimes they pad the movie out because they, they need the extra time. And it's like, mm-hmm. oops, what are we going to do? The sandstorm was kind of interesting. It looked good. The set looked fine. You know, the sand. Hey, they had a set. <laughs> yes, they had a set. <laughs> You know, but you know, it's not, it's not those driving sequences where it's just someone put a camera out the window and it's like with monos. Um, the only thing that Warren did better than this one is he put it in the beginning. So you got done with it. Um, ah, gotcha. You know, it, it does drag the movie down a little bit coming to the climax. Well, yeah. You know, this is going to sound terrible okay? because it makes it sound like I didn't enjoy the film. I enjoyed watching both of these movies. You want to know my absolute favorite part of Hercules against the Moon Men was? Oh, I got to hear this. The opening titles. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like that with the Witch's Curse as well. And I'll tell you why. I loved the music so much. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that I disliked the rest of the film and the music didn't work in the rest of the film. It did. It was fine. Yeah. But I adored, especially in The Witch's Curse, the opening titles and the music. It was just so intense and rousing and made me want to find that sword that I may or may not have somewhere <laughs> around here and, and put on a loincloth for real and go find a monster to fight. It, it is – I loved it. Yeah. And – I like the music in the beginning, but um, there were some times where the music kind of sounded like it was basically a Casio keyboard. Sure. But, yeah, you're right. The opening title musics um, in both were really good. <laughs> and I know that sounds terrible because like, I don't like the rest of it. I just like the music. No, I <laughs> love the music. Both uh, films, the score was by a guy by the name of Carlo Franchi or Frankie. I, I know nothing about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if any of his music's ever been released anywhere. I know that he did the music for the Blanchville Monster, which is kind of an underrated uh, film that you find in a number of uh, public domain, mm-hmm. no creek box sets, that sort of thing. I think, uh, is that Helga Linnae that's in that? Uh, mm. But anyway, it's, yeah, that is Helga Linnae. And, and that's a cool little pseudo gothic horror kind of film that I really enjoy. But yeah, Carlo Franchi, Franchi, whatever. Carlo, he and I, um, I think, need to get better acquainted. Because yeah. I love his stuff. Yeah, no, like I said, the opening title credits were fine. It was just sometimes during the film, it didn't, you know, the soundtrack was kind of like, like I said, like it was on a Casio keyboard. But yeah. the opening credit sequence with the music, it's appropriate heroic stuff. Especially for The Witch's Curse, because it's over that scene of fire. Oh, yeah. That was like, oh, I am into this. <laughs> I don't remember if Chris and I actually mentioned the name of the director during this. Did we talk about the director? Giacomo Gentiliomo. There. Now it's officially said. I don't know anything about him other than he was an Italian film director. And as Chris said, a painter. Anyway, uh, big thanks to Chris for being part of the show. And yeah, you heard him right. The Witch's Curse is the next movie we're going to talk about next week on the show. I'm not going to play a trailer for The Witch's Curse because, well... I couldn't find a trailer for The Witch's Curse, but we're going to talk about that next week with Chris. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. I always have fun hanging out with Chris and talking monster movies, even if they are peplum films, sword and sandals, man. It's a lot of fun. You will freeze as you watch a warped scientist become transformed into a godless beast when his bloody scalpel probes the forbidden secrets of a woman's flesh. In Atomage Vampire, you will flame the stark ritual of a beautiful girl's last searing dance. As tragedy forever mars her loveliness. Leaving her to face a world of terror. I give you my word that I will restore your face. Restore all your beauty. You will cringe as the demented doctor experiments with a girl's trusting innocence. But to possess the living miracle wrought by his twisted genius, he must forever sacrifice his soul to the cunning gods of evil. A transplant directly from another human being. A mad creature born of the atomic age, now shackled to a world of rotting bodies and violent death. A sadist, a criminal, a depraved animal, more ferocious than Jekyll, more monstrous than Frankenstein, more bloody than Dracula. Fire a volley through the window pane. You will-
will gasp as lust and madness stalk the dark and screaming night in Adam Age Vampire. Hello everyone, I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we are your hosts for NashyCast, the podcast about the films of Paul Nashy. We, for over five years, have brought you the joys of Spanish cinema, filtered through our brains to you. Yes, now... What is it that qualifies two Southern boys to talk about films that came out of Spain? And I can't think of a single thing. There's nothing that qualifies. Nothing. nothing. Except that we just love, love them, love them, love them. We love them. Nashi Cast yes. covers the films of Paul Nashi and any other Spanish horror film that we can pretend we know something about. <laughs> yes. If you love beautiful women wearing incredibly short miniskirts in subarctic temperatures <laughs> chased by werewolves in leisure suits. If you love werewolves, vampires, unidentifiable beasts, or crazy people driving women around and talking like a maniac. <laughs> yes, flying cats, beheadings with axes. <laughs> Blood that looks like Sham- melted crayons. Shambling zombies, yeah. Some of the films that we've covered in the past are Mark of the Werewolf. Howl of the Devil. Vengeance of the Zombies. Horror Rises from the Tomb. Tombs of the Blind Dead. Vampire's Night Orgy. Ooh, yes. Join us on this journey through the golden age of Spanish horror where Paul Nashi, Leon Klamowski, Jess Franco, Amando Diasorio take us through a filter Espanol. Join us for the Nashi cast. <laughs> A cast of internationally famous actors. A production that is unparalleled for its breathtaking costumes and scenic effects based upon historical documents. To be presented soon in this theater. The Loves of Hercules. A truly exceptional film in cinemascope and Eastman color. Produced by Alberto Manca under the experienced and accurate direction of Carlo Ludovico Bragaglia. Hercules, son of Jupiter, is victorious in the most spectacular exploits beyond the powers of human beings. Played by Mickey Haggerty, whose powerful and statuesque physique is superbly adapted to his winning performance. Jane Mansfield, Blonde and fascinating actress of 20th Century Fox, one of the most beautiful women of the international screen, in the double role of Deyanira and Hippolyta, brings to the film the entire range of her talent as an actress and her feminine fascination. Massimo Serrato, the brilliant Italian actor who brings you his incomparable performance of the complex and difficult part of Lico which will long remain in your memory for its power. And other outstanding actors well known to you. Rosella Como, faithful handmaiden to Deyanira. Tina Gloriani, rising star of the cinema as the queen of the Amazons. Arturo Bragaglia, forceful and convincing in the character role of Yolaus. René Dari, unforgettable interpreter of Grisby with Jean Gabin. And Giulio Donini, Moira Orfei, Andrea Scotti, 
Andrea Aureli, Sandrine, and a host of others whom you have admired in numerous films. The Loves of Hercules. You will gasp at the amazing and terrifying mythological monster, the fearful Hydra of the Gates of the Inferno. The first creation of its kind of such great dimensions and accuracy of movement. The gigantic monster of the Cave of Death. The spectacular and frightful Valley of the Human Trees, desperately wailing for a return to life. The reconstruction of the city of Icalia with its powerful and forbidding walls and hundreds of other fascinating and astounding features. The Loves of Hercules. A co-production, Grandi Schermi Italiani SPA, contact organization PIP. Produced in the studios of Cinecita. The Loves of Hercules. Soon in this theater. If you can't wait until next week to get more Chris McMillan, well, there's two things you can do. One, you can go over to his website over at shadowoverportland.blogspot.com. This is where he tracks all the horror happenings in the Pacific Northwest, even some things happening up in Canada. He keeps it up to date. Seems like every week there's more information, and we are starting to get into the busy season announcements are being made about October and Halloween. So you want to head over there. If you're in the area or if you're going to be in the area, he's going to keep you up to date about what you as a monster kid can do. But you know, if you actually want to see Chris meet him in person, and I promise he'll be wearing a kilt, not a loincloth, come to the Rose city comic con this weekend. That is September 8th, 9th, and 10th. Now he is going to be a panelist with me on Saturday, September 9th. The panel is called universal unite with monster kid radio. We're going to talk about, what Universal is trying to do with the Dark Universe, relaunching their shared cinematic universe and compare it to what they did in the 40s with things like House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, Evan Costello meet Frankenstein. Actually, I think those are the only four films. Anyway, we're going to talk about those movies, talk about the Tom Cruise film, The Mummy, maybe even talk a little bit about Dracula Untold and who knows what else, but it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's not just going to be me and Chris. We're going to be joined by Jeff Dean, who is one of the mainstays over at the Kaiju cast, and then Dominique Lamsey, who's been on the show quite a bit lately. She's going to be joining us as well. I can tell you of the four of us, we're all going to have different perspectives. One of us really liked the mummy. One of us really didn't and kind of rewrote it in his own head. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm looking forward to meeting you there. If you're going to be at the convention, I'm only going to be there on Saturday. I believe the Kaiju cast is doing a panel at noon. I'm going to see that. Of course, I'll be in room eight at 430 for our panel. And if you come to the Universal Unite panel, you have a chance to win some prizes. I've got prizes donated by Christopher R. Mim and Joshua Kennedy, a couple of modern-day Monster Kid movie makers. We've got some movies from them. And then Stephen D. Sullivan, friend of the show, he's donated some books as well. So if you come to the panel, you'll have a chance to win some amazing prizes and hear some amazing conversation with some amazing people. Of course, I'll record it for an upcoming episode of Monster Kid Radio, but that doesn't give you any excuse. If you're in the area, I'd love to meet you at the con. (laughs) 
that brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I want to thank everybody for listening, and I appreciate all the support we've had online with Twitter and Facebook and the iTunes reviews. Keep it going. Keep the love flowing, because the more Monster Kids we have listening to the show and participating in these online groups, the better. Because, I mean, the more Monster Kids, uh, the merrier Monster Kids. Anyway, you know what I mean. I love having you guys and gals involved with what we do. You can always find us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group. Now, over in the group is where the conversations happen. The page is where the announcements are made. If you are following the Facebook page, you'll see that I posted a list of the other movies we're covering during Sword and Sandal and Monsters Month here on Monster Kid Radio. As mentioned earlier, next week, Chris is going to be back. We're going to talk about The Witch's Curse, episode 336. So that's in two weeks. We'll be Hercules in the Haunted World with Rod Barnett from the Nashi cast and the aforementioned Dominique Lemzies. And then episode 337, the last Thursday of September, Alan Trump is coming back to the show. And we're going to talk about the film Goliath and the Vampires. And you know what? Here's a sneak peek. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what's happening in episode 338. Steve Turk's going to be on the show. Now, Steve is a dear friend of the show, somebody that I met at Monster Bash, we're going to talk about the films of Christopher R. Mim because in October we have the premiere of the newest Christopher R. Mim film, Demon with the Atomic Brain. I can't wait for that movie to come out. That's going to be a treat and to have Steve Turek on the show to talk about the other Christopher R. Mim films. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So that's going to be coming as well. And you know, while we're talking about what's coming up, also the first weekend of October is the HP Lovecraft Film Festival and Cthulhu Con. I will be a guest there as well. I don't have a lot of information about what panels are happening, what films are showing. Stay tuned because as soon as they know something and I know something, you'll know something. And before wrapping up, I just want to send a special note out to one of the listeners of Monster Kid Radio. You guys and gals have heard her if you listen to our Monster Bash coverage. I'm talking about Terry from It's Terry Riffic. She's dealing with some stuff right now, and I just want to let her know that, you know, this Monster Kid here has got all sorts of virtual monster hugs headed your way. If you're friends with Terry on Facebook, drop her a line and let her know that you're thinking about her. Terry, you're in our thoughts. MonsterKidRadio.net is, of course, where you're going to find everything else you need to know about Monster Kid Radio between episodes, including links to everything that we've talked about here on the show and our contact information. Our email address is MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com, and we have a voicemail line set up at 503-479-5657. as 503-479-5MKR. Any comments that you have about this week's episode or, or the previous 333, well, call it in, send it in, and we'll talk about it on a future episode of the podcast. Of course, we have links to everything else we have going on as well, our Patreon page, and there will be a link to our Tee Public shop where you can buy t-shirts supporting Monster Kid Radio. Once again, thanks for listening and being part of the ride this week. Come back next week for more Chris McMillan, more Sword and Sandals and more surf music, like the song O Gregoria from the band Los Tetonos. Again, it's from their album, Directo en Delia Records. You can find them at lostetonos.bandcamp.com. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to that. You know what else you can find in the show notes? Something letting you know that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. My name is Derek M. Cook. Ciao.